Hello, and uh, welcome to CotyCast, the Care of the Elderly podcast for debate, discussion, and analysis of issues related to general and geriatric medicine. I'm Peter Brock, and joining me today are two of my fellow geriatricians, Mark Garside and Nick Saxton. Hello. Hi. Uh, Nick, welcome to CotyCast. Thank you very much. It's your first uh, first time in the recording studio, yeah. but today is my lounge. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how are you feeling? Very good. Bit nervous. Done a bit of prep work, so fingers crossed. Nice. You're sitting opposite an old pro in Mark yeah. Garside. Uh, Mark, are you now officially a stroke consultant, by the way? Yes. Congratulations. Yeah, as of Congrats. two days prior to recording this. And uh, well, well done. Thanks for sparing the time. Um, and uh, quite appropriately, really, for uh, Mark's new job, we are today going to be talking about um, anticoagulation and particularly trying to ask the question, really, um, will we still be using warfarin in five years' time? Um, and I guess we can start the discussion with, um, maybe I'll open it up to Mark. Mark, why wouldn't we be using warfarin in five years' time? What are some of the issues with it? I mean, I think we've created a question for the podcast to generate a little bit of debate and discussion. It's a bit artificial. I think we probably all accept that warfarin, of course, is still going to be here in, in five years' time. But it's worth saying as well that uh, for this podcast, what we're talking about is warfarin in the context of stroke prevention in atrial fibrillation. Uh, there are lots of other indications for using warfarin, but today we're just going to be focusing on using warfarin uh, for people in AF. Uh, and the reason for having this debate is, of course, the arrival of the uh, NOAX or novel anticoagulant agents uh, that have come through in the last few years and um, we're starting to use more and more of these agents now um, there are gradually more of them as well creeping onto the uh, the market so it's important for um, junior and general medical staff to be aware of these agents they might not need necessarily need to know the uh, ins and outs of every single one to the nth degree but they need to be aware that they are there they need to be aware that they're uh, available as an option uh, as an alternative to warfarin more traditional anticoagulation and the reasons for using them because one of the things that in the stroke community particularly we've been trying to do over the last few years is um, improve people's uh, awareness and recognition of uh, atrial fibrillation particularly and try and get uh, more people to look for it and then when they find it uh, to consider using anticoagulation to try and prevent stroke. Absolutely so I think we're hoping today just between the three of us to have a bit of a discussion about um, what the benefits of these drugs are, what the pros and cons in each of them are, give a bit of what is really our own opinion about them and hopefully direct people towards resources that they can use um, in the future to sort of make, help make these decisions and inform themselves and patients. Um, so we know warfarin's uh, out there in the market, we know it quite well, but what are these alternatives that, that you've mentioned, Mark, what sort of other drugs are available? Well, the, the novel anticoagulant agents, broadly speaking, fall into two different types. There's a, there's a direct thrombin inhibitor, of which currently there's only one, and that's dibigatran. And then there are three others which have a slightly different method of action. They are oral anti-factor 10A uh, drugs, and those are rivaroxaban, apixaban, and more recently to the market, edoxaban. Um, the trials that uh, were published showing that these uh, different medications work all individually compared uh, one of these four agents against warfarin looking to prevent stroke in people with atrial fibrillation uh, and they all showed at least non-inferiority um, and then there are some technical nitty-gritty bits of the trials that uh, some of the drug companies and the, the reps might tell you means that theirs is preferable compared to the others um, but the bottom line is that there are options as an alternative to warfarin that work at least as well as warfarin. In some cases, in some people, probably a bit better. And in some cases, 
they're more likely to be uh, to be safer uh, in terms of intracranial bleeding, particularly. So, Nick, I imagine that you've had um, discussions with some of your patients about these drugs. Um, how do you introduce them to them, and what's their reaction typically when you start to, to talk about these new agents? So, uh, that's a good point. I think the the key for that sort of discussion is to be well prepared. So I did a, a rotation in the stroke unit at the RVI and, um, you know, you need to give a bit of time to the patient and talk a little bit about, um, uh, you know, the pros and cons of each. So the way I would approach it would be to ask a little bit if they knew about what they know about atrial fibrillation and stroke and the risks involved and also, um, you know, move on and introduce them if they know about warfarin and that there are some alternatives. And the way that I, you know, would approach it would be to say, look, with warfarin, the benefits are it's well it's well tested we use it a lot and it does have some negatives in that you uh you know you have to have regular blood tests and uh it can go up and down with interactions with other medications but it's reversible and uh it's if you have a bleeding episode like an upper GI bleed we can you know reverse that uh pretty much immediately yeah reversibility is an interesting question isn't it because some of the newer agents are now starting to have um, antidotes, you know, reversibility agents to them, like warfarin. Um, do you think, Mark, that's something that's going to come through with with all of them? Yeah, it certainly looks like it's on the cards. So the reversal agent for dabigatran uh, is now uh, available. The one for the oral uh, anti-10As is in phase three trials at the minute and has shown some promising results. But I would expect that in a few years that'll come through as well. So uh, one of the the sort of uh, emotional responses that a lot of people have when they're um, making the decision about which anticoagulant agent to use is this idea of re- reversibility, you know, wanting to have an antidote, if you like, to take mm-hmm. if something uh, goes wrong. Um, and that's a, it's a valid concern. And it may help people to choose between the different agents, but um, it wouldn't put me as a physician off recommending one of the agents that doesn't have the, the antidote available yet. Um, what you have to remember with the newer agents compared to warfarin is that they're, they're out of the system uh, a lot faster. So the half-life is a much shorter than warfarin as well. So if they were to uh, have bleeding complications, you can support them whilst their body flushes out the rest of the medication. That's a, I think that's a really interesting point, isn't it? That, and quite a difficult one, I think, to communicate to your patients is this idea that while there might not be a direct reversal agent, that doesn't mean necessarily that any bleeding they have on it is going to be catastrophic and there is potential for support there. Um, just so we can talk about the individual agents in a little bit more detail, I'm going to want to play a, a little game with you too, which is um, I want you to pick your favourite one, the one that you would say recommend your granddad to go on and um, explain to the group why that is. I'm going to give you a moment to think, which we can then edit out. <laughs> and then I'm going to start with Eunuch. That's tough. <laughs> I would want to have a full informed discussion with my grandfather before I, uh, before I did this. If, nice. were, if you're, you're an absolute pro. <laughs> <laughs> so what I'd say is if he was fit and healthy and pretty good with his medications and compliant, then I would recommend a NOAC, um, you know, give him the pros and cons of each one. If his renal function, you know, was all right, I'd probably recommend a Pixaban or, or in fact, any of the NOACs, but you I think they probably would be more, uh, a lot of older people would prefer them because it's less, there's less monitoring involved. Um, they're a bit easier to take. 
they don't have as many interactions. So that's what I would suggest. But obviously, you know, it's not it's a joint decision you have to make with the patient. Mark, what's your what's your favourite agent? Uh, yeah, well, I'll tell you, but with a similar caveat to, to Nick, really. That well, I mean, my concern is that obviously people might listen to the podcast and think that because we've said one that, that that's the yeah, one to, yeah. what's the one to go for. But it's it's really it's not as simple as that, and there really isn't a lot to choose between them. Uh, personally, I tend to favour a Pixaban slightly more than the others because I believe that the safety data is a bit more convincing. So that tends to be the one I recommend. But it, it as Nick suggested, it really is all about making sure that we do our best to help our patients make an informed decision and you actually have to take a step back because we've sort of got already a bit bogged down in talking about the, the details of the NOACs but the first thing that we should be doing is explaining to them about atrial fibrillation the stroke risk associated with that and then talking to them about the option of anticoagulation um, and here is where I would uh, calculate their CHADS2 VASC score which looks at their um, estimated annual risk of stroke um, you can calculate something called a Hasbled score which uh, might uh, give you an idea of how likely it is they are to have bleeding complications with anticoagulation and you can use these two bits of information to have a discussion with them about whether they want to take any form of anticoagulation full stop and if they say yes I think that's a good idea then you can have at that stage the conversation about whether they go with warfarin or one of the novels and then if they decide to go with one of the novels then you have a discussion about which one so it's a really sort of multi-busted tiered approach and um it's, sometimes it's very overwhelming for the, the patients. I mean, it's overwhelming for a lot of the doctors that have to have that discussion, to be honest. Uh, but one of the, the things that we can put a link to in the show notes that is a useful resource is something that NICE have produced, and it's on the NICE website, and it's a patient decision aid. Uh, it's a long document. If you want to print it off and go through it with somebody, it is very long. Um, but it does cover uh, a lot of the information that they that they need to know. And there are some circumstances where people need to make uh, a fairly quick decision if you're going to anticoagulate somebody, for example, after they've had a, a TIA or uh, non-disabling stroke, if you discover that in AF, then the, there's a bit of urgency. Um, but it, if there isn't that degree of urgency, then it is something that often people might want to go away and think about, consider their options, and then uh, and then choose what they want to do. Part of our job is to to help guide them through that decision. Yeah. Are there any other resources that either of you have sort of used or aware of that you to pick up a bit of knowledge about all of this? Well, there's a uh, Mini gem coming up by uh, authored by Doctor Saxton. (laughs) (laughs) So I found it a really challenging topic, and I thought you know a good way to uh, you know to learn a little bit more about it was to do a presentation, and I turned that into a mini gem. So uh, hopefully that will you know it certainly helped me come over uh, overcome some of the uh, the issues that um, or the confusing points of it. So have a look at that if you want. Brilliant. So if you keep an eye out at amy.org.uk/slash/mini-gems for that that will be on the market soon um so just uh just to bring us to a close i think have uh what what's sort of been your your final takeaway points for our listeners um about the world of anticoagulation that we're now working in uh i think for me it's just uh considerate uh fortunately we're in a better position than we were say 10 years ago where a lot of people particularly if they were older were overlooked for anticoagulation uh, or were just put on uh, aspirin as a, a soft alternative to warfarin if you like uh, that is uh, no longer so that's something that's that's recommended so uh, we now know that we as physicians tend to overestimate the risks of uh, bleeding on warfarin and other anticoagulant agents, uh, particularly with people who are at risk of falls. So uh, that that in itself is not a reason not to talk to somebody about anticoagulation. So my 
points would be to be aware of atrial fibrillation and to look for it. And if you find it, at least ask the question, either with the patient or with another member of your team, should we be thinking about anticoagulation? Brilliant. Nick? Absolutely. I agree. You know, the, the key is that the patient's making an informed decision. So get in there and, you know, invest the time talking to the patient about it. Uh, and as you know, as we've mentioned previously, being hospital physicians, we see a lot of complications as a result of anticoagulation. But what you don't see is the people who are living at home independently without a stroke, who we present prevented a stroke in by anticoagulating them. So make sure that you're aware of these things. If you see a patient in AF, just re- review it quickly to see if they are on anticoagulation and whether that's been considered or not. And just have it in the back of your mind. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much, gentlemen. I've really enjoyed that discussion today. And, uh, and I think You've actually presented what can be quite a complicated topic, but with actually quite a clear way of thinking through it um, in a sort of step-by-step manner. And I hope we've directed people towards some resources that they'll find useful in the future. Um, Links to those resources can be found on our website at amy.org.uk slash coticast. If you've got any comments or want to join in with the discussion around our coticast, then you can do so on Twitter using the hashtag uh, coticast. Um, and it's been a pleasure hosting today so I just want to say thank you very much to you both thank you and, thank you uh, hopefully we'll see you again for another episode of Cody Cast